0: Just give me a countdown when you're ready to go. I'll get this kicked off the right way. Whoa. (laughs) Um, okay.
1: Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant.
2: And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday.
1: And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast.
0: And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans.
2: (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. Uh, We are joined this week by David Moore. Hello, David.
1: Hello, Kevin. And I believe we also have a guest appearance this week.
2: Yes, we have a guest appearance by a young and up and coming uh, guy that we really have a lot of high hopes for. Uh, And he goes by uh, Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Welcome to the party.
0: Well, certainly young and upcoming compared to you, old farts. <laughs> well, he's Evan, not wrong. You, <laughs> you, you are not up and coming. You are down and gone. I believe I was the only one at the table yesterday who was not offered a senior's menu.
1: Oh, buddy, oh, <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, so you ev- took two items instead.
0: Yeah, Evan
2: is referencing our lunch uh, yesterday, which has become kind of a you know uh, every couple of months we eat with our old. Boss and pal Dave Smith, uh, who made uh, Sports Day uh, and created Sports Day and uh, ran the sports department, kind of like Edie Amin, for about (laughs) 25 years. It was a long time. It was a good long run. Maybe it was longer than that, 30 years? Uh, I think he said he retired in 2004. So uh, it was a a good long run for Dave.
1: Didn't Idi Amin, weren't there some cannibalistic traits in his reign?
2: I think that applies to to Dave in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> he, he certainly cannibalized the sports
0: department, Lenny. Yeah, so uh ran us well, back. hello, Dave. Game.
1: We know you listen. Thanks yeah. for joining us here on Sports Day. I, I, I,
0: Dave does listen because he made he a does. very salient point yesterday. Yes, he <laughs> did. <laughs> he said that that uh, that
2: Evan didn't talk enough, which clearly means that Dave has been zoning out in uh, <laughs> during these podcasts that Evan didn't talk enough. Come on. Uh, so, uh, we had a few things, uh, develop over the weekend. Uh, one of them was the uh, Dallas Mavericks, uh, waltzed out of the playoffs, uh, lost game seven. Um, and that was a very disappointing finish to what had started out to be a pretty great, uh, seven game series with the Mavericks winning two games in Los Angeles and, and taking a, a, <laughs> that's a pretty healthy lead to take in a series. It changes everything at that point, uh, changes the dynamics of everything and the expectations expectations and uh, what you think the the team will do. And it removes any excuses at that point as well. Uh, Then they came home and uh, were up 3-2, were not able to put the the Clippers away in game six, and then went out in game seven, and really kind of a a pitiful performance there overall in which the the Clippers really asserted themselves, which led me to write uh, that at this point, uh, the Mavericks have to decide or should decide between Rick Carlisle and Chris Stapp's Porzingis, because that just seems like an untenable situation to me, what's developed there. And uh, a guy that you traded two first-round draft picks for, uh, and you gave a max contract, uh, and he's ended up becoming about the fourth or fifth option, uh, or at least that's what he was in the playoffs uh averaging 13 points which is just not going to get it if you've gotten the same thing from him you got last year in the playoffs when he averaged 23 points uh the Mavericks would still be playing uh but that's not happened the the relationship seems to go be going back where there's absolutely no chemistry there uh he's unhappy the Mavericks are unhappy with him so uh so David what do you think do you think that the uh, the Mavericks are going to do anything about this relationship do you think that Everything just uh, they just try to make up and uh, and turn around and come back with the same thing again next year. Or do you think that they'll actually do something?
1: Well, quickly, a little more context to what you were uh, talking about. Um, You know, last night, uh, Monday night, the second round series started with Phoenix and Denver. Phoenix had four players score 20 or more points in the opener. The Mavericks had only three players score 20 or more points the entire seven-game series with the Clippers. And other than Doncic, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the only player in the final five games to go over 20 points. Uh, So there is not good distribution offensively on this offense. For all of the brilliance you see from Luka, uh, it's not there. Specifically with Porzingis, he was completely disconnected from the offense. Uh, You know, the idea... That you use him as a, a guy to space the court and don't incorporate him into the offense uh, makes no sense. And, and the fact that you played Bobon Marinovich as much as you did over the final three to four games of that series and not give those opportunities to Porzingis shows you how broken and disconnected this offense is right now. And uh, as As outstanding as as Luka Doncic is, it's incumbent on him and Rick Carlisle to incorporate Porzingis more into this offense going into next season. I believe where they are in their development, this is a critical offseason because you either determine, you know, we've seen enough, it's not going to work, let's move on, in which case you're you're in essence saying we're probably going to have to take a step back before we take two steps forward. Or you say let's give this one more year. Let's see if we can make this work with the understanding if you don't, you've delayed your development another season and you're going to have to do it at the end of next season. I, I think it's in the Mavericks' DNA to try to make this work one more year. I think they will hang on too long rather than cut bait too quickly, if you will. Uh, but this is, this is the decision uh, that looms over this franchise over the next two to three months. And, and it's the most critical one they have to work through.
2: Yeah, I, I believe you're right. I believe that's what they're going to do as well. It's just not for what everybody believes about Mark Cuban. He seems like such a tough guy, bottom line guy, you know, uh, hiring, firing. That's just not his style. Uh, he, he sticks with people and stuck with Don he,
1: Nelson for three or four years when they were barely talking.
2: Yeah. They weren't talking, you know, and a- Avery Johnson, fired himself. Uh, Yeah. Well, Don Nelson fired himself. Avery Johnson fired himself. Uh, You know, uh, that's just not. Rick has no interest
1: in following him, firing himself right
2: now. No, he does not. And that, that is one of the issues here. I I think, you know, I want to bring up this comparison uh, to what the Mavericks have become in these playoffs. And, and, and certainly, uh, you know, there there were times this year, obviously, you know, Perzingis averaged 20 points during the regular season, but that's not what happened in the playoffs. Uh, and, And so, because of what the Clippers were doing defensively, Rick decided to do this. Uh, and, and to me, uh, I, I know the, the flow offense, and this is the idea of what it sets up, uh, but this is exactly what the that Houston tried to do with James Harden. And what we found ultimately was that it just didn't work. It puts up a lot of points for your point guard, the guy handling the ball, uh, but everybody else is just standing around uh, waiting for something to happen. Uh, and, and to me, this is just it, – it's just – it's just something that can't work long-term.
1: No, and and look at how this series unfolded. I mean, uh, in Game 7, uh, I think uh, Doncic uh, accounted for 77% of all the Mavericks' points, either through uh, field goals, either through scoring them themselves or his 14 assists. Uh, you know, he had a number, I think, even higher than that back in Game 5 uh, when they wanted to go ahead. Um, but... You know, they only won one of their final five games. And I would argue, by and large, uh, the the Lakers' defensive template worked, which was wear Doncic down over the course of the game. Easily his worst quarter over the series was the fourth quarter. Um, And he he just didn't have it because he had to carry so much of the load. And as we talked about last week, well, you can say it's counterintuitive on one point. That's what the Clippers wanted. They wanted him to score... They were fine with him scoring 40 plus from the standpoint that other players didn't get involved. And that goes back to that number we talked about to to start this segment of the podcast where Phoenix had four guys over 20. The Mavericks couldn't get that in the entire series. So uh, they have to get better distribution. So that look, what you're wrestling with here is. You know, you would probably rather have Doncic takes those shots than passing it up to guys who are less likely to make it. And so you got to get better players around them. But in doing that, you have the second best talent on this roster is Porzingis. And if you can't figure out how to use him, that's incumbent. You know, that's that's a reflection on the coaching staff as much as it is him. Now, I know there's a lot to explore here, but I would say one um, Porzingis expressed frustration with his role and how he was used in this series. And that's legitimate. But I also say on the Maverick standpoint, there is frustration with Porzingis uh, from his pouting and his unwillingness to accept what he needs to do in this offense and embrace that role. And so uh, they've got to resolve this tug of war. You've seen a lot of young teams around the league through the years in the NBA that couldn't make it work with two young stars because of where they were in their career and how headstrong they were as far as this is the way I need to play in order to be successful rather than this is how I need to play to fit in and make this a better team. That's where this franchise is right now with Porzingis and to a lesser extent, Doncic, because Doncic is going to have to allow Porzingis a greater role and uh, and really feed into that and help foster it.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that, that this is an issue where uh, uh, KP in New York was a star. He was a star of the Knicks. Uh, he He did what he wanted to do. The offense went through him. Uh, and he, he liked that and that's what he wants to be. That's not what it is here. He is not the star of this team. It's, it's never going to be a one and one, a kind of thing. He's the, he's the second option. Uh, I think he really struggles with that. Uh, and, and I, and I, but I also think that, uh, and, and listen, I, I'm not making any excuses for him at all. Uh, I think that, that he, I think that the majority of the problem is his. Okay. Uh, I, I do think though that, uh, they're just going to have to run some set plays. You're going to have to run some set plays for him to get involved in the offense instead of having him just floating, floating around out there. And, and part of that's, you know, the the idea that they want him to shoot more threes and space the floor. You know, they don't want him to post up. They, they, they don't feel like that's effective. And I think it's hilarious that they, they go on and on about not wanting him to post up. And yet in the playoffs, they put Marjanovic down there in the lane and dump that ball into him. It, It looked like, kindergarten
1: basketball and you're still a more diverse offense with him posting up down low getting the ball into him than marinovich and, and speaking of set plays should we finally run something for evan <laughs> well i was going to say just one one quick
2: thing and this question came up at lunch yesterday is that trade uh that the that the, the hawks made uh that to was get, my uh...
0: question for crying out loud
2: <laughs> was that your question Evan, are you are you screaming at us? <laughs> yes. Holy cow. You said, "Is that trade? Is that trade still uh, as one sided as it once looked?" And no, it is not. as one sided But but we always thought that Trey was a good player, right? He was going to be a good player. He, he is a good player. He's an excellent offensive player. He's a cipher on defense. Uh, that, that that that's to me the biggest difference between the two and and what uh, Luca brings you. But he is still a great offensive player. He's a new, you know, Steph Curry. Uh, he he brings everything you, you could possibly want on an offense, and and the Hawks are still uh, are still very
0: vital in these playoffs.
1: Kevin, your thoughts? Uh,
0: Kevin just took him. Um, <laughs> well, I, I what I was going to go back to, you know, I, I David, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Kevin likes he writes a column, you know, and then he'll tout that column.
1: Um, Constantly, yes. I believe we've heard that. We've heard evidence of that. And, and the, the most, former incarnation of this podcast. I think In- the Vegas. most
0: recent column that he's touted is that one of uh, one of Porzingis or or uh, Carlisle has to go. But I think sometime during the middle of the season, he was saying the Mavs needed a third guy to make a big three, and there hasn't ever been that third guy with this incarnation of the roster. And how would that change the dynamics? I mean, I I, I don't. Do we believe that Porzingis is that selfish that he would have to be a star? And if he wants to be a star, then he can go be a star on a bad Knicks team like he was, or with a really, um, with an offense that's got multiple options, would it make it easier for him to simply blend in?
1: I think that's a very good question. And, and, And temperamentally, I don't know Kristaps Porzingis well enough. I've heard enough to to make a claim, but but I will say, if you're wrestling with being the number two option to Luka Doncic, you're probably going to be threatened by a really good third player, and <laughs> where you are in the pecking order. So that is, you know, that's the other issue. If you go forward with Kristaps uh, Porzingis, is you have to be convinced that mentally and temperamentally he can handle it and still allow his game to shine and not feel threatened. And I think that they have more more knowledge on that, uh, that they believe whether or not it will work. I don't know. On the outside, we're just projecting. But to me, that's a very real concern based on his inability to apparently handle being, uh, you know, second uh, in the packing order.
0: No, right. As, as you mentioned, I mean, there's that, that, that certainly some red flags there. And I, I just go back to this on the on the young, Doncic trade. Um, the goal is to win championships and to advance in the playoffs. Um, the Hawks have advanced. It's one round, but then they went out and they beat Philadelphia in Game One. Um, I don't think you can in any way at this point in time say that the, the I, I think the narrative at least on this side has always been that the Mavericks absolutely fleeced the Hawks in this deal. I don't think any longer can you say that. I, I think you've got to say that this was a pretty even swap for both clubs. No, I, w- I wouldn't call it even. Uh, I, I I think if you look at what a player
2: is that the that, that Donches is considered a top five player, Trey Young is a very good player and uh, and probably top 10 or 15 he's not a top five player uh I just I just think that uh, that Luca is, is too many people talk about how how he looks like a, a little less athletic LeBron James you know that that's that's a pretty uh, healthy comparison to make
0: and individually he's a great player but what's it
2: done for which team? Well, I'm not going to blame Luca for that. Uh, you know, I'm blaming the Mavericks for not putting a team around him that they need. I will to say have.
1: the Mavericks would have beaten the Knicks. I, I truthfully believe that, which is what the Hawks did in the first round. Right. Um, that being said, uh, very quickly, I know we need to wrap this up. Uh, you know, I was talking about Phoenix going into this. Well, let's talk about another good young team in this league with a young star that two or three years ago everyone was saying, oh, look, this guy's a transcendent player. Uh, He's going to take this team deep. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. You know They got knocked out last year. Now everyone was expecting this big showdown uh, with Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn loses James Harden 45 seconds into game one, and they dominate the first two games of that series. And now it looks very difficult that the Bucks are going to be able to come back and win it. So, look, there are no assurances that the Mavericks don't want to follow the same path as the Bucks either. Because you can get caught up in Luca's potential and the excitement, and you can jump to this conclusion and assumption that, well, with a player as transcendent as as Luka Doncic, uh, this team's going to be in the in the you know championship game. Uh not so fast. <laughs> Look at the Bucks. And and I really believe that the Mavericks have another season like these last two have unfolded, people are going to start looking at Luca and this franchise a little bit differently too, saying, Well. You know, there there are a few more warts here than we acknowledged, and uh, it hasn't come back to reflect on Luca yet, but the longer he goes at will, then that will increase his frustration, and then will he want to be a part of this franchise going forward? Those are long-term things to deal with, but it's something to to keep in mind. I mean, they, they need to get this thing right quick. All right. Speaking of disappointing teams,
2: let's talk about the Cowboys. Uh, and we we have seen this team. Uh, if that was after our segue
0: year, into the Cowboys. Yeah. What is our segue <laughs> into the Rangers going to be?
1: Well, one step beyond that.
2: It's what we expect of the Rangers. Uh, but uh, if we're going uh, to talk about the Dallas Cowboys, well, after 25
1: that, years, we might expect it out of the Cowboys too. So yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. Well, that's true. Uh, so uh, we got minicamp this week, uh, and uh, we we've seen so, a few things. And, uh, and and you guys, David, have written some things. And uh, I heard Michael Gelkin on uh, Channel 5 the other night did a very nice job uh, representing the Dallas Morning News. And uh, one of the things he talked about and that you guys have written about is just the general health uh, of the offensive line, uh, which you know Tyron Smith uh, has certainly had neck and back problems for years now, uh, Lyle Collins, Uh, had uh, problems last year and missed the entire year. And Zach Martin missed six games uh, last year uh, with injuries. So that's a sizable portion of an offensive line that was once considered the world's greatest offensive line. Um, And that, that fell off quite a bit. Now we're hearing that uh, these guys are healthy. Uh, Tyron Smith is acting like he's feeling as good as he has in years. Um, so, David, going forward, what does this mean for this Cowboys team if this offensive line actually returns to what it once was?
1: Well, you know, for years you made the assumption that they were going to be fine, and it was getting all the pieces around them uh, from a skill set perspective to, to, you know, to see how high you could take this offense. Um, I don't think that's a given anymore. I mean, even with this health, I mean um, – and, you know, starting with with Frederick's retirement, uh you know, Tyron Smith had missed three games a season in the previous three seasons before missing basically all of last year. Uh Lyle Collins missing all of last year. Now suddenly you remember, you know what, he had some injury issues early in his career as well, uh, which took him out of the lineup. With their age, uh, I don't think you can expect them to be as dominant of a line as they were at their peak for uh, four to five years there where there was really no doubt uh, that there was an offensive unit collectively, offensive line unit that was better. Personally, I don't believe they'll get back to those heights, but I don't believe they have to. I I think you can compensate for that. Um, This is the best skill set I think this offense has had in a long, long time. Uh, As far as three elite, and, and I don't use that word lightly, but I really do believe it's three elite Wide receivers, an elite running back. D- despite of what some people were frustration with Ezekiel Elliott and what he hasn't done over the last couple of years, I still consider him an elite running back. Uh, you have some very nice compliments uh, at tight end, and you can do some things there. And certainly the the level that Dak Prescott has played at in the last year and five games before suffering his injury uh, places him in the in the upper echelon, at least the top third. Uh, for sure, quarterbacks in the league. So I I think that this offense is not only only has the ability to be efficient but explosive. And when you're saying the best offense in the league, well, you start at Kansas City and you ask if anybody can challenge that. And I think Buffalo is right there too. But I, I think Dallas is right on that next plateau. And with the health of this offensive line, if they're able to carry it through the season, which we didn't see last year, um, I think it's going to be, I think Dallas is going to challenge for as good of an offense as any in the league, not saying they will be at the top. Um, but I think certainly in the top three.
2: Now I'm, I'm not as high on Zeke these days as you are, uh, because I've, I've not seen the explosiveness from him that he just, that he exhibited his first couple of years in the league. He's, he's struggled ever since then, uh, the 20 plus yards. Uh, uh, gains are, are are way down to a handful. At one time, he was getting twelve and fifteen uh, of those kinds of carries a year. Uh, now it's down to, to two or three or four. Uh, uh, but we what we see is that he he does seem like he's slimmed down a little bit, though, and maybe he's in a little bit better shape. Uh, that would be a good thing. You'd like to think that he was always in good shape. Uh, my my read on on Zeke as a runner has always been he's a read and react runner. Uh, he he very good, very patient runner, almost patient to a fault. Uh, he wants to see the hole develop and then he'll go. Uh, sometimes, and that's why I love the change of pace. Uh, sometimes you need to run it back. Who's just going to hit a hole? This is where the hole's supposed to be. That's where I'm going. Uh, and I and I think sometimes you make things happen by by doing that and make people miss. Uh, so. I, I, Zeke has a lot to, to prove, I, I think, to show that he is the the back that deserves the kind of contract the Cowboys gave him, uh, which was uh, I, I didn't feel like at the time was a good idea. You gave it to him before you gave your your quarterback another contract, which just seemed crazy to me in your set of priorities. But it, it showed you where the Cowboys thought they were at that time, and and where the, the priority number one was Zeke Elliott. I don't believe he's I don't believe he's the number one priority on that offense anymore, is he?
1: No, he's not, but I think he's the element that makes this offense efficient. And I think too often last year, one, with the injuries in the offensive line, two, they found themselves down 21 to three or 21 to 10 in just about every game and had to abandon the running game uh, prematurely. I think it really impacted him. I, I agree with you. I think he's more a, a deliberate and methodical runner than an explosive runner. But um, if this offense is working the way it should, it's going to tilt. Look, that's the question. What is his role going to be in a Mike McCarthy offense? Uh, It's not going to be run heavy. Like it's not going to be run first and run second and then pass third, like it was with Jason Garrett. It's going to be pass first, pass second, and then run third. But late in the game, if you have a lead, you're going to be feeding it to him time and time again. And I think that's where he's at his best and that's where you didn't get to see him last year so i think the fact they were losing they were behind in games it was easier to focus on the lack of explosiveness and 20 yard runs that he gave you that he didn't that he had early in his career and did not and you, and the element that still makes him a special back in my mind is that he can control the fourth quarter of, of, of games. And you really only saw that last year in the Minnesota game was one of the few. And Dallas had a lead early in that game, and they just ran. And I think he had you know 70-something yards in the fourth quarter of that game. I, I think if you see more of those games this year, you'll have a greater appreciation for where he is in his career. And this offense will be challenging Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, and some others for the top unit in the league. What 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 is the deal with
0: the dogs? <laughs> you talk about Zeke Elliott's
1: dogs. He likes here. dogs. Dak likes dogs.
0: Is that not a potential problem for him?
1: Well, I believe there are. He he has been handling that, and Dak Prescott have been handling those issues uh, away from the field uh, as well.
2: Yeah, Zeke got uh, you know just to kind of keep our listeners abreast of what's going on just Evan just coming out of left field. Uh, Zeke was sued, uh, over, uh, apparent dog bites. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with all of that. Uh, we'd like to think that you can keep our dogs in in the yard. That's, that's always been my, uh, uh, uh my approach is to keep your dogs in your yard. Okay.
1: Well, the dog bite may be apparent to us. I think it was probably evident to the person who was bitten, but yes, I, yeah. I understand
2: the need to use that word. Uh, that's right. We're just observing all our legal uh, expertise
0: here. I, I just, we'll uh, anytime there's a dog and biting involved with an NFL player, it harkens back to Yes. Another
2: don't situation. bring up Michael Vick. this? This is a little bit different from oh, all comes back Vick. to
1: Atlanta with him oh, and everything. God. All roads lead to Atlanta.
2: <laughs> yeah, boy, Hattie.
1: Trey Young, he's the greatest player ever.
2: They they fleece the Mavericks in that deal. I
0: never said that. I just said yeah. that that deal is certainly looking more even one right now. Okay. All right. Does we'll Trey Young have do. a dog? Yeah. I don't know.
2: <laughs> Evan's just mad because he has to cover uh, the worst team in the Metroplex. The worst professional team in the Metroplex, a team so bad, the Texas Rangers that that the manager has given up. The manager has quit on the
1: team. <laughs> Maybe a little strong.
0: Is that a little strong. Evan? Know, it's that- a little <laughs> bit strong. I think the analogy you might want to make is that if the Rangers had dogs they would try to bite somebody and miss.
1: <laughs> oh, man. You're caught. They would gum them.
0: This is going
2: to be the headline on this podcast The Rangers are dogs. Uh, is that, that what you're saying, Evan?
0: Well, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that they have problems. <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow! Thanks for that analysis, Evan Grant. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, uh, well, but let's let's kind of open up on that a little bit. We saw the manager the other day who uh, I, I love listening to Chris talk, Chris Woodward talk, because you know he, he, every answer gets about a you know every question gets about a five minute answer, and the first three and a half minutes of it are are fluff, and then he finally does get to the point. And uh, and uh, which the other day he He was asked about the the approaches at the plate and what's going on and how come this team can't hit and he was nice for about three and a half minutes, and then he kind of lowered the boom a little bit and he basically just said, "This is the big leagues when you step between those lines you gotta be you gotta get tough and you gotta grind it out uh and that's I guess that's what he's showing here is that his frustration is starting to to show it a little bit here isn't it, Evan
0: and let me just. Say that I went back and I asked him, I, I wanted to clarify that on the Zoom. I used one of my Zoom tickets to, uh, to try and clarify that because I thought that, look, when you say your team's got to toughen up at the plate, that's pretty harsh criticism really coming from anybody, especially a manager who has spent so much time building his guys up. But if you look at the last 10 days, uh, this team has tried just about everything. Um, Chris Young went to Denver to show, uh, some support, uh, that was kind of a, a, late trip. And so he showed up there as the GM, offer a little bit of support and encouragement. They had a post game meeting after another loss in Denver, where basically the theme was stay together, just stay together. Let's, let's, let's remain in the process. Uh, they won a game, and then they came back out and scored one run over, over the next two days. And I think at that point in time, especially in that game against Tampa Bay on Sunday, when they were one for 11 with runners in scoring position, uh, there were a number of instances that, that just called for guys to maybe not necessarily fall back into what they did to, to get by in the past, but called for them to come up with some kind of solution. Um, And they've just created too many easy outs at the plate, become way too predictable at the plate. I I think that, but I also think this, that this was going to come at some point in time. Um, This team has so many unproven veterans. And even when you look at Joey Gallo, he technically has one 500 at-bat season in the big leagues. So, None of these guys really have a long track record. And with that, there was going to be some time where they were going to be exposed and their flaws were going to be identified and used against them. It was going to be a question of how quickly they could counter. I think that it was going to take a while for them to counter, especially because you had so many guys that had to do that. And I think that the the hard thing about patience is to know where patience has to where you have to be patient and when you have to push a little bit harder. And I think we've reached that point with with the Rangers is that he's watched a month of this. They've gone 5 and 20 and it's now time to you guys have to figure something out. You've got to get more competitive in the box. You can't just go in there and say, "Okay, I'm sticking to this process and I'm hunting these fastballs and I'm either going to swing at the first fastball I see." or if it's not in the perfect location for me, I'm going to take it. There comes a time where you've got to spoil some pitches, where you've got to foul things off, where you've got to, um, you've got to battle a little bit more. And I don't think that they have seen that over the last couple of weeks.
2: See, Evan, this, is this is my issue for the Rangers in all of this and, and has been all along. Uh, it's a little bit of the same problem that, uh, I see that the Cowboys have had over the years, Um uh, and, and, and maybe the Mavericks as well, uh, is that you have to identify, uh, an identity, uh, for your, for your club or your organization. This is who we are. And this is what we do. Uh, and the Rangers have always been based on that, you know, in the drafts and the signing of free agents, we want those toolsy players. We want guys who are great athletes, uh, that could, because if they hit on those guys, then you got a superstar in the making. Uh, and, and so now, they've loaded up on those kind of people in their organization and, and into the big leagues as well. Not certainly Willie Calhoun is not that kind of player. He's not a toolsy guy. At
0: all. I, I don't think I, I I'm going to disagree with you very strongly here. Cause I think if you look around the field, I mean, you see a really talented athlete in Joey who doesn't necessarily live up to what you would expect, but how many of those other guys are toolsy? Those, those other guys are just kind of grinded out players. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right.
2: You're right, but the but my but the it, that was that's that was generally speaking, it's a broad uh, paintbrush that I'm using there, but but at this level, these are not guys who were known as for the most part were not not guys known as judicious hitters. You know, these are not guys like Shinsu Chu who were going up there and and you know. There's always the stupid thing about, you know, oh, you have to be a patient hitter. That means you have to take nine pitches every at bat. You know, that's that's not the case. You're just waiting for your pitch and what you're supposed to do. But you're also right with what, what you're talking about is, but you've got to foul some pitches off. you got to spoil some things for guys. That's what that's what we see all the time is that when, when pitchers can't put somebody away because they get to two strikes and the guy just keeps fouling pitches off. It's very frustrating to that pitcher. You work into his head. You work his pitch count up. The, the, those are the things you have to do. And I'm not sure who we see in this group uh, that's capable of doing that on a nine after night basis.
0: Yeah. You don't, you don't see the kind of long at bats that you did like with Tampa on Sunday during their comeback, you know, Bruce had, I think it was a nine pitch walk where he fouled off a bunch of pitches. Um, and I, I, what I, I'm going to take a page from the Kevin book. What I wrote this morning, um, we looked at, uh, oh. <laughs> that was David, by the way, not me. We
2: you at, guys want to reference things you write? That's fine with me. It, we, They're not any good, but that you want to reference them, that's just fine.
0: Uh, <laughs> we looked at several different specific elements that, you know, I think pitchers are continuing to exploit. Nate Lowe came with the idea that he was a very disciplined and patient hitter, and that is all true. But what his, what had kind of lo- apparently been under the surface a little bit was this is a guy who struggles with velocity. And he hasn't found a way to catch up to that velocity. Um, Pitches 95 and above, he's getting a steady diet of them now, and he's just not able to catch up to it. And it's a big reason why his hits are going the opposite way, because he's late on them. Um, we're seeing Nick Solak chase more and more balls up and above the zone, something that we, you know, that really got Rugnet Odor into trouble over years. And he's yet to make the adjustment to either be able to foul those balls off. Or, or actually drive them. Um, and with Joey, the, the thing that stands out about Joey at this point is it's shocking to me. I know there's going to be some swing and miss in his game. He is a big, tall man. He's got a lot of levers that he's got to get to in his swing. I think he's also a little bit fidgety at the plate, and that can lead to some things out of whack. But if you look at the number of swings and misses on fastballs over the heart of the zone, he's in the top six in the, in in major league baseball, and that can't happen. Those are pitches that he has to crush, and when pitchers are making mistakes or leaving balls over the middle of the plate, he's not. So those are the kinds of things that are that are troublesome. And and I haven't even mentioned Willie Calhoun. You know, they put Willie Calhoun into the leadoff spot. And I think Willie's tried to guess a little bit too much. He's a fastball guy, and he's been guessing fastball and been getting breaking pitches to hit. And because of it, he's not had success in the leadoff spot. I think the, for me, the bottom line in all of this
2: is that what we've seen so far, uh, the one guy that I have some confidence in uh, is a long term answer for them is the one guy or is one of the few guys that, that maybe they were considering replacing. And that's Isaiah kind uh, of I think he's, he certainly played great defense at shortstop. He, he's, he's shown no letdown from what he did at third base last year when he won the gold glove. Uh, I think he's on a pace to win a gold glove uh, at shortstop as well. Uh, and he's, and he's hitting well enough. I He's going to, that's always going to be the issue with him. How well is he going to hit uh, you know, shortstop today has become much more of an offense position as we know uh, than it used to be. Uh, but, He's the one guy on this team I have some confidence in. And, and he's also, I don't think this is a coincidence, probably the mentally toughest guy on this team. And I think that's uh, probably one of the issues that that the, the manager has is that this team is just not mentally tough enough. Uh, and he wants to see more of
0: that. I, I agree with all of that. I, but I also, I also think that there have been probably some cases with Isaiah because he is such a good bat-to-ball player that we've seen him put some balls in play that probably a, a more um, refined version of him will eventually just be able to foul off to get a better pitch later in that at-bat to drive. Um, that's the one thing that I've, I've, I've noticed from him. There's uh, He is an aggressive swinger. The, the, the number of pitches per plate appearance is, is low. That doesn't necessarily mean anything if you're getting a pitch and driving it, but if you're just getting it and bouncing it, you know, on the ground to the infield, then you've got to make some more adjustments. No question about that. Well,
2: that wraps up another episode of sports day insider. Is it over
1: already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end. I suppose the show is produced by Jeff Whittington and presented by the Dallas morning news. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo.
2: Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News
1: wherever
0: you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows.
1: And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies.
2: Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen.
0: You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners.
1: Thanks again for listening.
0: We'll see you back here next week.